Welcome to the Storytelling with Data podcast, where listeners around the world learn to be better storytellers and presenters. We'll cover a wide range of topics that will help you effectively show and tell your data story. So get ready to separate yourself from the mess of 3D exploding pie charts and deliver knockout presentations. And with that, here's Mike. Hi, this is Mike. I'm here with Alex. How are you doing, Alex? I'm all right. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. It's good to see you. We are here in person together the first time in quite some time. Excited to be here recording this podcast for all of you to listen to today. Alex, one of the things that I wanted to talk about today was some of the questions that have come in in recent workshops that we've been a part of together and separately. So I know there's a question that you had recently about uh, light and dark backgrounds. What was that all about? Yeah, this has actually been a question that has been on my mind for a few months. So it was last fall, somebody posed the question about creating data visualizations in light mode and in dark mode. So for those of you that are hearing these phrases, maybe not sure what I'm talking about. Light mode is what you see most frequently. So it's a data visualization on, say, a white background, whereas dark mode is when you have, say, a dark gray or a black background with a graph on top. And so the question was just, should we be creating visualizations in dark mode? Should our slides be in dark mode? My audience wants this. So there are times when I've been told in the past that there are different scenarios when light or dark mode might be useful. I remember a long time ago, I was creating slides in dark mode, like with a dark background, because I was told, oh, it looks really good on a screen. It turns out my particular audience loved to print out the slideshows that I was creating. So dark mode, maybe not the right choice for those. Do you have any other uh, tips or any things to consider when you're deciding which one of those might be uh, better to use? Well, it's interesting because for me, when I use slides, I use them both to present and I also use them for reporting, which means I'll add text boxes and a lot of text there. And that feels like a bad use case for dark mode. I absolutely hate when I have to read text on a black background. It's just my eyes don't work with them. Like, <laughs> so I would say in your scenario, when an audience is printing something out or whenever it's text heavy, dark mode probably doesn't make sense. So we would go with a light mode there. But if you were going to go with a dark mode, does it have to be perfectly black or can there be other colors that you would consider a dark background? No, it definitely doesn't have to be black. And I think a lot of thoughts go there immediately, but it's just anything that's darker than the text that's on top of it. So it could be blue. It could be dark gray. It could be red. That's usually what I would think towards if I were to design a dark mode design. Is there a place for gray backgrounds or is that like a, a never use that kind of background because it's so right down the middle? Well, it's a good question. I think it's the reason it's been on my mind is does dark mode make sense in explanatory analysis? So the sort of stuff that you and I do, is there a place for that? And I don't know that there is. Well, that makes it an interesting thing that you decided to use this as the theme for one of our recent storytelling with data challenges. So why don't you lay out what the actual parameters were of the challenge and then talk about maybe what some of the things were that people came up with in response to it. Sure. So the challenge was just describing light and dark mode, as I've just done, and putting it out to the audience to say, if you have a visualization, I want you to try recreating it in a different mode. See what you have to change. Do the colors still work in a different mode? 
Do you have a lot of text? Is it easy to read? Are there font weight changes you have to make, right? Just explore what changes you have to make to go to the opposite side of things, if you will. And I hinted at people that it should be more than just changing the background color. And I wanted to see what people would do and what their thoughts were and whether or not dark mode makes sense for data visualization. What did people come up with? Did they come up with good use cases for dark mode or at least interesting to look at use cases for it? I think some of it's going to come down to personal preference. But yes, there were certainly some interesting solutions that have me rethinking my stance on dark mode here. But some of the things that were fascinating was one person had visualized death and they tried recreating it in light mode and it just didn't work. It didn't fit with the underlying theme there. So I would say that was a use case where the dark feeling of having a gray background really worked well. There was somebody else that had a very text-heavy report. It almost looked like a newspaper, honestly. And they recreated it in dark mode. And for me personally, what was interesting is, one, it felt hard to read, but two, the text also felt much bolder. Mm -hmm. And there's something that happens where we perceive white text differently on a dark background than we do darker text on a light background, where sometimes in dark mode, the font weight can feel much bolder. And so when you convert it, you actually have to take the size down a little bit. I think probably on a screen, especially because it's got that glowing nature to it, it makes it visually sort of bleed out more into the background. It just appears like there's this glow around the text and make it look bigger. That's interesting. Because if you had printed it out, it still wouldn't be that much fun to look at. Your operations people would get mad at you for using all of this black ink to print out this... (laughs) This black background. So what are some of the other things that you found in people's responses to this challenge? So some folks were just mentioning that certain colors that had previously been off limits when they would design light mode designs like yellow were all of a sudden working really well in dark mode because it worked fantastic as a a highlight color. Oh, one thing I thought was really interesting was somebody had mentioned that they design a lot of dashboards. And so often what they'll do is they'll duplicate their work. They'll create a light mode version and then they'll redesign the other version in dark mode because their BI tool doesn't yet have this capability. It made me think that maybe this is where things are headed because I know Data Wrapper had recently released this feature where all of a sudden you can create one mode and with the click of a button, it will automatically choose the appropriate contrast ratios for your visualization. Yeah, I feel like we had heard something like that from somebody in one of our workshops where they wanted to give their users or their users had requested that capability where, oh, I prefer to see things in dark mode versus I prefer to see it in light mode, which makes it a real difficult design challenge to always come up with something that's going to automatically work for both. Because as you said, Colors that are going to work as a highlight color would work really well in one versus the other. Yeah, I think if your audience is requesting both modes, you have to do it. But maybe there's a little bit more that you can dig into. So if your audience is requesting dark mode because, say, they find a white background just too bright, maybe that's a scenario where you don't necessarily have to fully lean into dark mode. But maybe you can use a lighter gray mode, which doesn't have the same brightness as a stark white background on a screen. So I think some of it... Maybe that your audience is going to force you to create duplicate designs, but some of it may just be consulting in the content, talking to your audience and trying to understand why they want both of those designs to save, save some time on your end. And is there anything that you're aware of in terms of contrast that you have to consider differently if you're using a light background versus a dark background? Because a lot of the designs that maybe, I'll cop to this, that maybe I have developed over the years 
really don't meet the standards of having a high enough contrast to be legible for folks. Really, the level of contrast you need between like text and a background is honestly much higher than what we think it needs to be. But I don't know if this holds true for both types of backgrounds. Do you have any insight into that that you can share? Oh, it absolutely does. It contrast is the name of the game when you are designing accessible visualizations. Sometimes it's easier on a light background just because we see it so frequently. We always see black text, say, on a white background where we just automatically know that's high contrast. I can easily read that. Whereas dark mode, when you're designing there, all of a sudden you have to think about things differently because the contrast is the opposite. So you need to ensure that there's sufficient contrast between whatever is at the foreground and what's at the background. However, it goes in the opposite way that you would think about it. Instead of using darker things, it turns out lighter things have more contrast. How can people check to see if they have included sufficient contrast, uh, whether they're using a light background or a dark background? There's so many tools out there that do this now. I'd say one of my favorites is a website called AccessibleColors.com. So you can plug in the hex code of your background and you can plug in the hex code of say whatever is at the foreground, your text. You can also put in, is it regular font weight? Is it bold face? What's the size that you're using? And it'll give you the contrast ratio and tell you whether or not that's going to be easy to see for someone or if it passes accessibility guidelines. It will also make recommendations for saturation and brightness to be able to achieve that ideal contrast ratio. Yeah. And Talking about hue and saturation and brightness, all these different facets of color, different ways of thinking about color. Uh, we have lots of other resources we can point you to. We'll put those in the links below the episode description so that you can get to these tools for checking contrast and find out a little bit more about color selection, color palettes as well. All right, Mike. So I want to pose the question to you. You've done a lot more design with dark mode than I have do you think dark mode has a place in explanatory analysis? I'm not talking about dashboards and interactive reports. I'm talking about the scenario where you're communicating something specific. So it's PowerPoint slides, think a full-blown presentation, or an executive summary slide. Would you ever use dark mode? I have used dark mode in certain cases that I think still hold true or still make dark mode the preferred choice, at least from me, my designer's eyes. And those would be in public presentations, maybe not in a business setting necessarily, but designing something for a public audience where it needs to be a little bit more visually dramatic to catch people's attention. And if the tone of the topic you were talking about, you touched on this a little bit earlier as well, if the tone of it were serious, a bit more if it serious, were moody, right? Moody, yeah. I remember doing a visualization a few years ago about the last things that people wrote when they knew they were going to die. Final uh, letters that they had sent to their you know, loved ones or just a diary entry or something. And it seemed wrong to do that in bright, bold, light background color. You know, I used essentially dark mode. And it does make it a little bit more difficult to read, but I felt like the trade-off there for what it was thematically made it worth it to keep that view. Also, I would use, on a lighter note, I would probably use a dark background in cases where I was presenting on a very large screen to a big audience. I don't like the big expanse of glowing white that a giant screen in a big presentation hall necessarily would show. Uh, I like it dark because you think of television often like 
in between advertisements, in between scenes. It more like fades to black. Like black background is the default and then light comes in. So if I were going for something a little bit more cinematic in that more keynote style presentation, I would probably stick with a black background for the slides that I was presenting in front of or the slides I was developing for somebody else to present in front of. But by and large, I think in most business communications, you're not delivering that uh, downbeat, a tone <laughs> of uh, information. You're not trying to put on a big cinematic show all of the time. So I think legibility, making sure that printing things out you're using well. words. People can take notes on the things that they've printed out. You're using words exactly. There's on bright your lights in the office. Yeah, I think more often than not, light is probably the way to go. And even if we're talking about dark backgrounds, I would very rarely use a full on black, like hex code, all zeros background. If there is a color that is sort of the primary highlight color that you're using, I might use just a little bit of that hue in the background so that there's this if yellow or gold or whatever was your highlight color. I might use a very, very small amount of yellow in the the dark background so that it doesn't feel exactly black, but it feels a little bit off of the ground, if that makes any sense. Yeah, so visually. it's cohesive with mm -hmm. everything else. Yes. There was something that you said that made me think of spaces where we definitely use dark mode. You had mentioned that it was a visualization about final words. Mm -hmm. Now, not getting that serious, but oftentimes in a presentation, we have final words, right? The key takeaway that we want to prompt for somebody. Typically, we do that on a full bleed, dark mode slide. Mm -hmm. That way it catches our audience's attention. And usually in those cases, it's with the theme of whatever presentation we're building. So it could be full color and then a single statement or two on that slide. And that can look really slick on the big screen. And a smaller version of this is imagine that you have a slide template that you use regularly. It's a light background slide, but there's a bar of color at the top for your slide titles. And that bar of color might not be as light or might not be a very light background. Often there's a pretty big contrast between that bar of color that is your background for your slide titles and the light background. So if you have a highlight color that you're using on your white part of your slides, that same color might not look great laid on top of the other color that you're already using as the background for your slide title. So what do you do there? There's an argument for just don't use that color in the slide title. You could use a very desaturated version of it, a much brighter version of it so that it is related in hue still. But again, make, make sure that the slide title is scannable and legible and that the highlight color is still present in the body of your slide. I think just to close out this topic, the UX design field has so many guidelines on how to design better mobile apps in dark mode compared to light mode. And I think we have yet to fully adopt all of those best practices when it comes to designing graphs, but there's so much that we can learn from them. So when you're designing a mobile app and you have a lot of text, they usually use some sort of lighter background box behind that text as a call out. They'll change colors between light mode and dark mode so that the brightness isn't necessarily the same as you gravitate between the two because we just perceive colors differently when there's a different colored background. So they have all of these guidelines and I think it's just a matter of us adopting it into our graphs and not just thinking that when we need to design a dark mode graph, we change the background color and we invert all the text to white.
Color is so interesting, really. It's, and it's so dependent, like you said, on what's near it. What like You can't just use the same exact color value when you flip from light to dark. It's, it's the dress, in quotation marks, all over again. Like, ah. is the dress black and... and Never thought that uh, was going to have the podcast. <laughs> blue, yeah. But is it blue or is it yellow? Yeah. We don't know. But then there's all the other sort of optical illusions of... You put one color on one side of the screen, one color on the other side of the screen, and depending on what you surround it by, you cannot believe that you are looking at the same color in the middle because one looks so much brighter or like it looks yellow on one side and green on the other side, but it turns out it's just because of all the colors that are surrounding it. All of this is to say that it is much harder to create a light version and a dark version of your visual than you might think it is because you can't just, oh, I'll just flip this from white to black and... and well, I'm all done. Wipe my hands of it. And I'll be the first to admit, that's what I thought it was. And it's not until you truly start to go down the rabbit hole that you appreciate a well-done design that can exist in both worlds. All right. So we talked about the latest month of challenges, but you actually led a challenge a couple of months ago. You want to talk about that? Sure. Uh, a couple of months ago, we had a challenge on the site, which was about historical visualizations, maybe more explicitly about famous historical visualizations. There are some visuals that I think we've heard about for many years. There's Jon Snow's famous map about where pumps in London, where cholera was present at. There is Charles Menard's map about Napoleon's march into and ultimately back out of Russia with his troop forces dwindling over time. Uh, there's the Florence Nightingale's uh, charts uh, about soldiers during the Crimean War, about the sickness and the injuries and that they were suffering. Lots of other historical visualizations that people often turn to when they're pointing out, oh, there were visualizations even in the 19th century, even farther back than that. I mean, there, people have been visualizing data for you know, centuries, really. So the point of the challenge was to examine these famous, in quotation marks, visualizations and think about, well, could we recreate them differently today, given the tools that we have or just take a modern approach? Because chart types, visualization types don't just exist. Like people develop them, people create them, they invent them, and some go by the wayside and some stick around. And these famous visualizations are often purpose-created visualizations. You know, they aren't bar charts. They aren't line graphs. They're very explicitly created, often one-of-a-kind charts that we don't see in business communication. So it wasn't a challenge as, that was as simple as recreate this as a business communication, although some folks did. <laughs> some did, yeah. Some took that approach, like made the executive summary version of, for instance, Napoleon's March. Uh, which is a pie chart. Which was a pie chart, uh, Exactly. But it was also to think about with all that we now know about how to visualize data and how people take in data, is there something that we could do to even improve upon these charts or at least just consider where we have come from and where we could go with our current knowledge and our current tools? And what we saw is a number of folks did take on some of these very famous charts. I think part of addressing this challenge is finding the data that goes along with these historical visualizations, which, by the way, finding the data is often a whole other challenge in itself. It's just... Not it's a exciting. skill set. It yeah. is a skill set. And it is, for most people, I don't think it's quite as much fun. But some of the data, other people in the 
kindness of their hearts have collected over the years and placed on uh, publicly available repositories. So I think we saw a lot of entries into that month's challenge because that data was there. But I will say that some people were able to use modern tools to recreate almost like to the pixel these very specific hand-drawn charts from hundreds of years ago, or at least well over a hundred years ago, which is impressive that our tools can now do that. Some folks took the opportunity to take on a different unique way of showing uh, the same sort of data. I'm thinking of one that was more like, not exactly a a Sankey-style chart, a a smooth curve version of W.E.B. Du Bois's charts about population over the course of years. That was a really creative way of doing things. What I think this challenge really brings out is the idea that while we often want to communicate quickly, cleanly, simply, clearly in our business communications, is often the opposite direction when we want to make something publicly memorable. And you have to like... Stands the test of time. That maybe stands the test of time because it's... The message that's important, but sometimes the form is as memorable as the message. And it's mixing those two things together in order to make somebody who maybe doesn't have an inherent need to know this information, notice it and then remember it and then identify it as something that, oh, we should keep track of this. This is amazing work or this is something that I want to share with lots and lots of other people. And the fact that they were all created by hand back in the 19th century, because things had to be created by hand in the 19th century, probably lends itself to that kind of bespoke version of creating a visualization that is totally unique and couldn't be placed into a bucket of, oh, that is that is a scatter plot, or, oh, that's a connected scatter plot, or whatever chart type you want to talk about. So when I looked at a lot of the historical visualizations, they were complex, as you said, and my mind immediately thought to the most famous visualization of our times is flatten the curve. And it's such a stark contrast that you have all of these complex visualizations. And then the one of our times will be an area (laughs) chart. (laughs) Not only an area chart, but sort of an area chart without much of an axis labeling. Yeah. Talk about simple. Right. Because there weren't any precise numbers on that particular chart because the precise numbers weren't really important. It was really a conceptual chart. Either do this or do this. Do A or B. And it was a way to communicate a, it's not a very complex message, but it was a simplified version of what would otherwise have been a complex right, message. It's either going to explode or it's going to spread out. Right. But what that gets us into is the idea of visualizations being useful if they employ metaphor. And that is a really useful metaphor to help people understand what it was that scientists were asking of them in that scenario. If your visualization in some way resembles something else that people can grab onto, I think that can make it more memorable, or at least that can help to bridge the knowledge gap that people have that your graph is trying to uh, cover for them. It's trying to inform them about something that, like, well, how do I get you to understand this? And one easy way to get to people to understand it is to relate it to something that they already understand. So that was a good visual metaphor in that case. 
that help people to understand something that might have otherwise felt, oh, too sciencey or too convoluted, or if you put a lot more projections and uncertainty and numbers into it, then it's probably going to not resonate as much with people as that graph eventually did. So do you think if some of these historical charts that were more complicated, right, Nightingale comes to mind, mm -hmm. If do you think if that was shared today, it would receive praise? It depends. The answer to all questions. I'm glad we got to it in this episode. I think it depends on who you are showing it to and what the environment is in which you are showing it. I think if you were in a business meeting where people were asking you explicitly, tell me about the casualties during the Crimean War and what the causes were, then probably not, because you can get to the actual answers to those questions much more easily and directly with a simpler chart type. But if you're trying to capture someone's attention, then create something that is aesthetically beautiful. I think I've, I've heard it described as you got to stop the scroll, as people are just scrolling through things. Got to get people's attention. Yeah, you have to get them to stop and look at something. So if it is beautiful or if it is unique or if it is interesting or something that catches their attention as closely as I once did for you know, different types of visualization awards. But I can tell you that the visualizations that win awards are more in line with this is a new form or this is a way of connecting a complex topic or a complex finding with something that is both beautiful and not seen in the past, never before seen. So all of those things in combination, I think, end up making something that is famous and memorable. But it might be famous and memorable at a very shallow level because you might recognize the Nightingale graph, but you might not know the answers to the questions of, well, how many soldiers were died of this cause versus this cause versus this cause? And if you were trying to get that across to people who were invested in knowing the answers, then you might go with a different graph so that they could get to that answer quickly and more accurately. All right, Mike. So where can people go if they want to learn more about storytelling with data or they themselves want to start practicing these skills that we've been describing? Well, people can always come to our online community, which is free to join. It's at community.storytellingwithdata.com. We have lots of exercises that people can practice on. That's also where you can find these challenges that we've been talking about. You can see the actual entries to the challenges that we've discussed, the historical data viz challenge, the light background versus dark background challenge. The current challenge is all about meeting or missing the mark. It's about visualizing data in a way to show your progress towards a goal. You can always follow us on YouTube. You can read our blog. You can connect with us by joining our mailing list. But the best way to learn these skills is to practice. Hence why we're here today talking about the challenges to get you practicing, exploring different graphs, seeing what works and the challenge. It's a safe space. So get out there and practice. And we hope we see you with the next challenge. Thanks for listening.